Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, February 2nd. It is 10.30 a.m., and it is time for Bible study. It is Groundhog Day, so I don't know if the groundhog saw his shadow or not, or if winter is going to be a long winter or whatever, but I know it's cold here. It's cold here in North Texas, and it's getting colder by the minute, and we're supposed to get snow and ice tomorrow, which is always fun. So wherever you may be, stay warm, stay safe, take good care of yourself, and hopefully spring is around the corner. So uh, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for making this study a part of your day. Last week, we did uh, Revelation chapter 1, part 1, and today we are doing Revelation uh, chapter 1, part 2. So we did the first nine verses uh, last week, and we are doing... Uh, the next 11 verses, or 11 or 12 verses, 11, 11 or 12 verses, I don't know. We're doing the rest of the chapter today. So some good stuff, and uh, glad you're joining me for this journey through Revelation, and hope you are having a wonderful day wherever you may be. Okay, let's jump right in. Book of Revelation, chapter 1, part 2. We start with verses 10 and 11. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me, behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So I think I got those cities close enough anyway. Um, so he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? What does that mean that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day? Uh, to be in the spirit I would say that any Christian, any baptized Christian can say on any given day that they are in the spirit because the spirit is with them, right? Uh, and, and Paul talks about being in the spirit as opposed to being in the flesh. That's Galatians. But uh, I don't think that's what John is talking about. He's not talking about being in the spirit in the same way that each and every Christian is in the spirit, meaning that wherever we go, the spirit is with us, right? That's in the spirit. But the idea here is that he received a unique revelation through the Holy Spirit uh, almost like an out-of-body experience. So he was in the Spirit in a way, you could say probably in a way that no one has ever been in the Spirit before or since. So he was in the Spirit in a way that uh, very few have ever been or experienced. On the Lord's Day. So what is the Lord's Day? Um, back then in the Roman Empire, the first day of each month was called the Emperor's Day. And so it was a day to celebrate and honor the emperor. Uh, Christians proclaimed uh, that the first day of the week was the Lord's Day. It was the day of Jesus's resurrection. And so uh, this is most likely what he's trying to say is that this was a Sunday. This was the day of the Lord's resurrection. So I was in the spirit on the day uh, of the Lord's resurrection. Now, what, what's important to note here is that throughout the Old Testament, as we, as we mentioned uh, in the intro to Revelation, that Revelation is a book that 70% of can be tied back directly to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament speaks about the day of the Lord. Uh, this is not the day of the Lord that's talked about in like Daniel. This is just the Lord's day, which is uh, one day a week. So, um, so the, and so on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit and he was commanded to write what he saw and send it to seven churches. Remember, Seven is the number of perfection. It is the number of God. And so we talked about that again back when we did the introduction. So, so why, 
why these seven churches? Why specifically these seven churches? There were a lot of other churches at the time, a lot of other churches who got letters, you know, in Ephesians and Romans and all those other letters, Corinthians, Colossians, uh, all those other places, Galatians, they were getting letters from Paul. Why aren't we writing letters to them as well? Why are we sending it to these specific seven? So some scholars suggest that these seven are getting the letters because these were the seven postal districts of the Roman province of Asia. And so these are the seven that could get a letter if you put it in the mail. Uh, also, these seven were, were uh, made a circular pattern. And so basically, you know, it's covering as much of the, the, the province, the Roman province of Asia as you can. But many also extrapolate that, and we'll take it a step further and say um, that seven represents wholeness, completeness, represents God. And so these letters then, uh, and all of the book of Revelation, are written to the complete church, to the entire church, to the whole church. Not only these seven churches, but uh, you know, it's basically saying, send this message everywhere to all the churches. Send it to all seven, and then naming off seven cities that are all, like, all over the place, that aren't near each other. Uh, so, um, so that's where we start with John being commanded to write this letter and where uh, to send it. Okay, so we continue with verses 12 through 16. Verses 12 through 16, John says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. Remember the, the voice that sounded like the sound of a trumpet. And, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force." like the sun shining with full force. I mean, the, the imagery takes us back to uh, the transfiguration where John was also with Jesus 50 or 60 years earlier, right? And, and Jesus's face was transfigured in front of them and it was, was so bright. Um, so I mean, put yourself in John's shoes, right? Imagine this scene. John, you can say if, if the gospels are true, right? About the relationship that Jesus had with his disciples, you could say that John was most likely what you would consider Jesus's best friend. And so this is like 50 to 60 years after Jesus died, uh, rose again, and then ascended to heaven. And for these last 50 and 60 years, John has devoted his life to the ministry of Jesus, to the ministry of Christianity. And so now, 50, 60 years later, where he's talking about Jesus every day, where he's serving Jesus every day, now he comes face to face with Jesus again. And you can only imagine what it was like for him to experience this moment, to see his friend again, uh, and and the the sheer awesome power of that moment, but also the fear that had to come with that, to hear that kind of voice uh, and to see that kind of image. And what does he see? First, he sees seven golden lampstands, seven golden lampstands. Well, th this goes back to Exodus 25. Uh, golden lampstands, lamp stands stood in the tabernacle in the temple. So so that's where the lampstands come into play. Uh, this is different though. The old, the old lampstands had was one lampstand with seven lamps on it. Uh, here in the New Covenant, we see seven lampstands. Now, now there's an important imagery here, important imagery. Uh, the light doesn't come from the lampstand. The light comes from the lamps. 
the stands merely make the light more visible, right? They lift the light up and they make it more visible to others. The, uh, therefore, the lampstands are a really good picture of the church. The church doesn't produce light. Christians don't produce light. We simply display light. So when we say, as you know, we had this two years ago uh, at uh, this uh, campaign here at Abiding Grace, this Be Light campaign, Be the Light, uh, you know, it's, you're not shining your own light. What you're doing is you're displaying the light of Jesus for others. You're shining the light of Jesus for others, just like these lampstands. Uh, I think it's a cool image. J- just um, Jesus then was in the midst of these lampstands as the son of man, it says, which is the, which Jesus refers to himself as the son of man in the gospel of Mark and, and Daniel prophesies about the son of man. So that he is the son of man, which means that Jesus is there um, as a human looking like a human, right? Uh, we know that Jesus is more than human, but he was there looking like a human. Um, and, and so we, uh, we see that he's not only there looking like a human, that he has clothing on that indicates that he is now a person of great authority and dignity. He's got a golden sash. Uh, the high priest wore a golden sash, uh, Exodus 29 tells us. And he's got white hair, white hair. It says that it was, uh, you know, it was white as snow. And so we see white connected with uh, white hair at the time specifically. Uh, and, and still to this day, in some, in some ways, it's connected to wisdom, right? The wisdom and timelessness and this idea that if you have white hair, that you're smart and, uh, uh, but also it's purity, right? Uh, Isaiah one eighteen talks about purity. I, I'm reminded of one of my favorite movies, Tombstone. Doc Holliday says, pure is the driven snow, right? There's something pure about snow. There's something pure about white. Uh, um, it, it's, it's beautiful and it's pure. And we're going to see it tomorrow here in North Texas, right? <laughs> You're going to look out and, and it's going to be white and it's going to look beautiful, even though it might be treacherous because there's ice underneath. It looks beautiful. And it said his eyes were like a flame of fire, right? A fire. Fire in the, in the New Testament is uh, uh, associated with judgment, but it's also associated with refinement. And refinement uh, talks about basically saying ref- through the process of refining, it's the what happens is you go in and out comes the best version of yourself, the best, truest, uh, most holy, uh, just perfect, as perfect can be version of yourself. Uh, and so uh, with Jesus' eyes of fire, we see that his, his eyes could be judging, but his eyes could also be refining and looking into you and seeing the best version of you, that Jesus sees the best version. Jesus sees a version of you that you don't even see. Um, I think that, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then bronze, right? Bronze, his, uh, <clears throat> bronze back then was, a um, the strongest metal that they knew about back then, uh, 2000 years ago, the strongest known in the ancient world. And his feet are symbols of this bronze strength, this bronze permanence, right? Like permanence, like a mountain, uh, uh, I, I love that image that there's permanence and there's strength in Jesus, uh, because in his life, people would talk about Jesus as someone without strength, someone who did not have the strength to stand up to, uh, the powers of the time. And so when we see these bronze feet, we see a, uh, we see permanence, we see strength, but also bronze is a metal connected with judgment and sacrifice. Israel's altar of sacrifice was made of bronze, Exodus 27. And so we, we see Jesus is connected also with sacrifice. The sacrifice, obviously, on the cross, uh, the, the, the sacrifice of his life. Uh, and so um, 
lots of great, great imagery here. And I said that I love this idea that um, his voice was like the power of many waters or the power of a waterfall, the power of rushing water. And we, we throughout the course of the last 2000 years have found as science has grown and as we've come to understand that there's nothing more powerful than running water right? Running water over the course of time will cut gorges and will, 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 you know, the way that glaciers, it's water, right? The way glaciers shape the world. Uh, and so the power of running water is extremely powerful. And I said, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, went a sharp two-edged sword. Now this, I'm kind of a nerd, and so this is kind of really interesting to me because this is the, the Greek word here is ramphia. And if there's Greek scholars out there, I may have pronounced that wrong. But the idea, it's a heavy, giant sword, two-edged sword used to kill and destroy. The two-edged sword, you can swipe one way, you can swipe the next way. And you can, it, 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 I'm reminded of the giant sword from Braveheart, right? The, the claymore, I think it was called, just, just, just giant sword. Now, now, other places in Scripture refers to smaller swords. Uh, uh, there's the Greek word machara, um, which I think is probably the word we get machete from. And if you think about a machete, it's, it's like 18 inches long where you have this giant sword. And so almost maybe, maybe you could think of it like a samurai sword. It's much smaller. Uh, it's more compact than this giant sword. And so out of Jesus's mouth comes this giant sword that is uh, uh, two-sided, right? And so... Um, now, I, th I think it's important that we say this, that uh, while we may see images of a sword actually coming out of Jesus's mouth, I don't think the purpose here is for us to think that whenever Jesus speaks, a, sh a short sword shoots out of his mouth. Instead, I think uh, the idea here is that the sword is his word. It is the word of the Lord, and, and, and it is his weapon. Ephesians 6 tells us that the word of the Lord is our weapon as well. And so whenever we're in the midst of trouble, whenever we're in, the word of God is a weapon for us. It is a weapon for us. It is a way that to comfort us through anxiety. It is a way for uh, to give us strength in the midst of temptation. Uh, and we see when Jesus is being tempted by Satan and Satan is offering all these things, Jesus responds with the word of the Lord, right, with scripture. And so we that's why it's so important to study scripture and to know what scripture says and to be able to quote it at times when, um, you know, when we're going through difficult times. Uh, and then he, the stars in his right hand, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. How are we doing? Everybody hanging in there so far? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's revelation. I mean, it's what? It's revelation. So I'm, I'm giving you everything I can. Uh, but I hope, uh, I hope that some of this is, um, is making you excited. I think this is, this is really interesting stuff. All right. Verses 17 through 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he placed his right hand me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. So first John sees him and he does probably whatever any one of us would do. He falls on his face out of fear, right? He falls on his face as though dead. And Jesus picks him up and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Uh, I am the living one, and I am alive forever and ever. Amen. How great is that? And then it says, I added the amen. Sorry, but that's, that, that's really cool. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I have the keys of death 
and of Hades. So Hades is the, the land of the dead, the place of the dead. And within the land of the dead is hell. So if we understand the land of the dead is this place where people go after they die, it is a neutral place. It is neither paradise nor is a punishment. It is just a neutral place. And within Hades is hell, so a place of punishment. And heaven is a place apart from that. So Jesus says, I have the keys to that. I am in charge of that. I have dominion over that. We, we most often think that, that Satan has uh, power over hell. Right. But Jesus says, no, I have dominion over hell. I'm the one who holds the keys. So, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about what that means, but that's uh, that's fascinating to me. So uh, I assume we'll get back to this later in Revelation. But uh, for now, let's go to verses 19 through 20. and This will be the end of the chapter. Now, write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so another commandment to write, to write what you have seen, but this is a commandment of how to structure the letter, how to structure what it is that you have seen, right? Write regarding what you have seen in this vision, write about things of the present day, and then write about the things that are going to come. And so then that becomes the structure of the book of Revelation. Chapter one, the one we're studying right now, the things that John has seen, the vision that he had. Chapters two and three, the things which are, the, the way that the world is, right? The things that are present in the world. And then chapters four through 22, the things that will take place after this. And that's where things get really interesting. So, um, okay, let's get back to the seven stars. The seven stars of the seven churches. Um, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so um, the stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, there's two ways to see this. There's two ways to see this. Um, some scholars believe that that means that they are the pastors of those seven churches. And that idea is based on a literal understanding of the word that's translated as angels, which is agalos, which literally means messenger or it can mean one who was sent. So the messenger uh, that is in that, the messenger of God that is in that community could mean the pastor. Uh, Adam Clark says, the angel of the church here answers exactly to that officer of the synagogue among the Jews called the messenger of the church, whose business it was to read, pray, and teach in the synagogue. So either basically what Jesus is saying is, I have the pastors of the churches in my hand, right? Or, or if we have a more literal understanding and say that angels are over the churches, how neat is that to think that each church has its own angel? Uh, the church where I serve, Abiding Grace Lutheran Church, has its own angel looking over us. That's pretty cool. Uh, however, uh, if that's not what is meant, it's also important to note that if we don't have a, a specific angel looking over us, we have the Holy Spirit with us. We have the Holy Spirit looking over us. And so uh, God is with us, whether it's what well, God is with us all the time. And if we have angels also, that's pretty great too. So how cool is that to think that, um, you know, no matter who we are, no matter where we go, God is with us. We are in God's hands. And it's important to know, uh, you know, we sing the song growing up. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, uh, it's important to note that here is a literal picture of Jesus having the church in his hands. 
the church is in the hands of Jesus. So um, yeah, I think that's a really cool image and important thing that we need to remember that the church is in the hands of Jesus. And so the future, we have lots of conversations about what the church is going to look like in the future. I have those with, with colleagues and what's the, the future of the church going to be. And some people are scared by what it might be. And, and maybe it's, maybe it's, we should be scared about what the church is going to look like, but the church is still going to be in Jesus's hands, right? The church is still going to be in Jesus's hands. We're still going to have the spirit. So we're going to be okay because God is always going to be with us. And so uh, let's stop there and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for always being with us. We thank you for the church, which has fostered our faith, uh, which has nurtured us, and uh, which will always be, uh, be there for us. Help us to uh, be uh, as members of the church, as the church uh, universal. Help us to display your light and love for all the world to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Uh, take care of yourself. Stay warm, and we will see you next week.